from KUT and KUTX Studios. This, 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 this is KUT. KUT Austin. Stop. This is KUT Weekend for the third weekend of 2021. Thank you for listening. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5, the NPR station in Austin, Texas. Here's what we got for you this week. COVID patients now being sent to the Austin Convention Center. That should drive home how serious we are right now. The Texas legislative session gavels in. The Senate of the 87th legislature of the state of Texas will come to order. And as isolation intensifies for a lot of people during the pandemic, researchers are testing out a treatment for loneliness. People are starting to realize that older adults have very complex and and significant needs. Those stories and more in this edition of KUT Weekend. An alternate care site at the Austin Convention Center is, for the first time, housing COVID-19 patients who've been transferred from hospitals around the metro area. Local public health officials had hoped they would never have to use the convention center for this. KUT's Jerry Quijano reports. The first three patients have been transferred to the alternate care site, which is meant to relieve pressure on local hospitals stressed by COVID-19. Dr. Jason Pickett says the site will house patients who are less sick meaning they need some additional oxygen assistance and assistance with medications, but they are not critically ill. That would open up beds in a hospital system that's rapidly filling as the virus surges through central Texas. More than 600 people in the Austin metro area are currently hospitalized with COVID. That fact alone that we are uh, housing patients and taking care of them in the convention center that our hospitals are overwhelmed, that should drive home how serious we are right now with this situation. The site is staffed to treat 25 patients, but Pickett says capacity could increase to 250 or even near 1,000 if necessary. Jerry Quijano, KUT News. As usual, the interim health authority, Mark Escott, gave an update on the COVID-19 situation this week. There's there's usually too much to cover in a single podcast or a single news story. But one thing that did stand out, Escott was asking parents to choose virtual education for their kids now if it is an option, because he says he's concerned about positivity rates among kids. The positivity rate is much higher, four times what it was in the fall. Uh, we have a new variant, which is almost certainly impacting the spread of disease here. And we have increased in-person activity in our schools, with some of our superintendents reporting that that some individual schools are at between 70 and 90 percent of occupancy. This is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for outbreaks in our schools. And, you know, in addition to the impact on our children's health, on our our teachers and, and school staff's health, is the continuity of education. And, you know, we are going to quickly see that we're going to run out of teachers in order to provide in-person education. Austin ISD is asking families to consider remote learning until, quote, our risk is decreased. And AISD officials say they will offer in-person instruction for students who need to be on campus. But more than 10,000 AISD students switched to virtual learning this week. Meanwhile, the rollout of the vaccine in Austin 
has resulted in a lot of confusion. At one vaccination site in Austin, the line wrapped around the building twice. This was on Thursday. The wait was two to three hours. And KUT's Audrey McGlinchey was there, spoke to some people in line. Here's Jill Jones and her husband, Frank Kucharski, both in their 70s. What do you think about this setup? Well, (laughs) I'm glad it's a sunny day and... uh, we're retired, so yeah. and we really want that it's, vaccine. It's tougher on people that have physical issues because it's a long wait standing. And there was some confusion about appointments. At first, APH said people would need one on Thursday, but then there was a glitch in the appointment system. So for Thursday only, they just gave people a window to show up. And then earlier in the week, some people who didn't even qualify to get vaccinated yet got the vaccine as a, quote, courtesy because they had been waiting in line. APH director Stephanie Hayden was asked about that and said it would not happen anymore. With individuals um, sending the word out using social media, we are aware that that has occurred. And this is a message to anyone that is going to show up there today and anticipate that they will receive a vaccine. We cannot provide you a vaccine if you do not have an appointment. We can provide you information about how to go on to our site and to schedule you a vaccine. But moving forward, we will not be able to provide vaccines to individuals that show up at those sites and don't have an appointment. So KUT's Trey Shar spoke about the vaccine rollout in Austin with KUT's Ashley Lopez and KUT's Matt Largy. Matt, let's start with you. What are you seeing as people look for the vaccine? So I'm I'm getting a sense that people are are pretty desperate to find it, but they don't really know what to do. They hear things from their friends or neighbors, see things online on Facebook, rumors about where to get them. For instance, uh, Maggie McConnell heard about a vaccine clinic at the Delco Center in East Austin. Here's how she described the whole thing. I would describe it as pretty chaotic so far. Um, it doesn't seem very well organized. Um, you hear things on on the TV, um, but when you actually try to follow the directions that they tell you, you can't get any real response, really. And to be honest, it just seems kind of random at this point in terms of who's getting the vaccine. There, there aren't a lot of doses out there, but from what I've heard from people who have gotten it, it's kind of luck of the draw, kind of right place, right time. But I think the bottom line is that people still need to be patient um, because this is going to take a while. Yeah. Now, Ashley, what are we hearing from government officials about what people should do? Well, I I guess it largely depends what level of government you're talking about here. Um, As you know, the state government has sort of taken the role of being mostly the distributor and telling people to look at on a local level of what is available to them. But then like local governments are saying like, They don't have a lot of vaccines. Um, There's this new hub model that is basically giving local governments a lot of vaccines, but even those are in short supply. So I think it kind of depends where you're looking and like where you live at this point, which is not super helpful. So why is this happening? Is, Is there not a plan? I mean, if there are plans, they seem to be changing a lot, um, which I don't think is helping in terms of confusion. And a reason for that is that it seems like there wasn't a lot of concrete, detailed planning about this phase of vaccine distribution from, it seems, either the state or the local government or both in terms of where at this point 
people should be turning to to get vaccines and also the sort of tiered system of what 1B looks like versus 1A. And then, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, which I think is what local governments are sort of blaming this whole situation on. Actually, Austin Mayor Steve Adler said part of the problem here is that it isn't clear who the leader is in this rollout. The decision to to so centralize the distribution of the vaccine, I mean, decentralize the distribution of the vaccine, is not something I think that's serving the country well. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's not getting out as rapidly as anybody had wanted. And this is particularly frustrating for local governments and public health departments because this is basically their job. It's their job to communicate and plan for public health crises like this. But they feel they were largely left out of this in the beginning. And again, the state's plan was to heavily rely on private companies like HEB, Kroger, and Walgreens and CVS. And things are starting to change a little, like public health departments are starting to get vaccines. But uh, now they have to like catch up and and you know, address a lot of messaging issues. And it seems that relying on private providers is part of what's causing a lot of this confusion. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Like Ashley said, and like the mayor said, it's it's a very decentralized system. So there's no like one place to go to sign up to get a vaccine. You've got to call around to all these different places, a lot of which don't actually have any vaccine left if they ever had it in the first place. And so People don't really know what to do. It's taking a lot of legwork for folks to actually find some place uh, that has a vaccine. I mean, we've got dozens of people messaging us, uh, asking us how to get the vaccine. Uh, you know, you ask the government and they say, you know, either the local or state government and they say, you know, contact your doctor or your pharmacy. But that that's just not working at this point. There just aren't enough doses out there, number one. So I think people have some unrealistic expectations about how quickly they'll be able to get a vaccine. But, you know, people call their doctors and the doctors don't really know what to tell them because there's, again, just not a lot of vaccine to go around right now. And this is especially concerning for communities that have been hit hardest by the pandemic. Right. And and here in Austin and actually in most of the state, we're talking about mostly communities of color. Black and brown Texans have been disproportionately affected by COVID, more likely to be hospitalized, more likely to be exposed and um, suffer severe illness related to uh, the virus. And it also happens that these are communities that are less likely to have something like an HEB or a Kroger or, you know, a private medical practice. You know, these are areas where it's harder to get to. So um, local governments, at least here in Austin, um, seem very committed to doing something about that and making sure that there is equity in distributing the vaccine. It's just like a, the baseline logistical framework of how the vaccine was started to be rolled out seem to not take this into account. But at least it seems that local communities are trying to do something about that. So what are local officials doing to make sense of this overall situation? Right. So right now, Austin Public Health has been given thousands of vaccines, not nearly enough to start vaccinating people in mass and and really work through 1A and 1B and making sure that um, everyone who has registered at least for a vaccine, gets one. And um, so they opened a registration portal this week. It opened to people who are uninsured um, and also people in vulnerable categories uh, like high-risk groups. But, you know, that's had problems. Um, I I did manage to talk to someone who stayed up until midnight uh, to register for a vaccine when this portal first went up 
live on Tuesday night. Um, his name is Jeremy Lopez. He lives here in Austin. And he had a kidney transplant in 2006. So he has to take this medicine to suppress his immune system. And so th this makes him a very high risk. And he says he was eventually able to register. But what happens next, he says, is totally unclear to him. You know, and then they sent me an email. And then it was like, okay, you're registered. And again, it's you're registered, but we'll call you or we'll email you or, um, or call you and let you know when you can... Uh, when your appointment will be. So it wasn't a guarantee for an appointment. It was more of, okay, you're kind of in the system. When it's available, uh, we'll uh, contact you. And so Jeremy told me he even woke up the next morning and he saw that thousands, something like 20,000 people had signed up for uh, Austin Public Health's uh, registration system and that it even crashed. So he says he has no idea now, like how high up or far down on the, on the 1B group he is, which is, you know, the... Sort of like second group that's getting vaccinated now. And he's sort of just waiting on Austin Public Health to get in touch. And he's even asking himself if like waiting on this one mechanism to get the vaccine is the right call because there's just so many people in the system right now. And he's trying to figure out like what his best move is. Right. Like even just for Austin Public Health, like tens of thousands of people have signed up on that portal at this point. And Again, there's only 12,000 doses at this point. I mean, the city might get more next week. We will find out in the coming days. But that allotment of vaccines is just is enough for just a tiny, tiny fraction of all the people who are eligible here locally. It's understandable that people are, are feeling the urgency here, but the doses just, just aren't available yet. KUT's Matt Largie and Ashley Lopez. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Texas has a regular legislative session only once every two years, and it got underway. On Tuesday, the Texas House and Texas Senate gaveled in around noon. The Senate of the 87th Legislature of the state of Texas will come to order. That's Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He's uh, the Republican leader who presides over the Texas Senate. In the House, Beaumont Republican Dade Phelan is officially the next speaker. He won election by state representatives overwhelmingly approving his nomination on the first day of the session. Phelan called for permanently lifting some regulations that were suspended during the pandemic. The red tape cut by Governor Abbott was a lifeline to Texas small businesses. We now enjoy more freedom and economic opportunity. The Texas legislature should embrace the regulatory changes, learn from them, and eliminate unnecessary burdensome regulations from our statutes once and for all. Speaker Phelan replaces Angleton Republican Dennis Bonin, who retired after a political scandal. Phelan also spoke about the security situation at the Texas Capitol, and he told the Texas Tribune that DPS and the National Guard are on high alert. I can see, I can see the concern. Uh, but I've also seen the presence on the ground right now, and we're getting security briefings on a daily basis. I feel confident that we will not be caught off guard like what occurred in Washington, D.C. I don't see that happening at, at the Texas Capitol. Meanwhile, Governor Abbott shared his vision for a successful session with state lawmakers. That means doing things like tackling the challenges posed by COVID, as well as ensuring that we do more to address the health care needs of the people of our state. Texas is also one of a few states in the country that has not expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Texas continues to have the highest uninsured rate in the nation. 
Texas State University is getting ready to welcome students back to campus for the spring semester. That includes thousands of students who will live on campus. KUT's Rianne Roldan reports on how the university plans to enforce COVID-19 precautions as the semester begins. As of Monday, Texas State expected about 5,100 students to live on campus this spring. That's about 74 percent of the school's residential capacity. And even though COVID-19 cases are surging in San Marcos and Hayes County, the university is pretty confident that the measures they have in place will prevent a major spread of the coronavirus. Officials are requiring all of the students living on campus to show proof of a COVID test before they can get checked into their dorms. As for off-campus students and faculty, Texas State's Sandy Pantlick says testing is expected of this population but won't be enforced. We know that testing is is one of the the best tools we have to slow the spread of the coronavirus. We believe this is the best, one of the best ways besides wearing your face mask and social distancing and washing your hands um, to protect um, each other in our community. Classes begin Tuesday, January 19th. Rianne Roldan, KUT News. The grounds around the Blanton Museum of Art will be getting a big redesign. As KUT's Mose Bouchelle tells us, the renovation aims to integrate the museum with one of the most radically changing parts of downtown Austin, North Congress Avenue between UT and the Capitol. The Blanton grounds renovation includes performance spaces, gardens, and shade structures that will light up at night. But museum officials say one of its biggest impacts will be the way it unites the museum with a pedestrian promenade that's due to replace North Congress Avenue between the Capitol and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, where the museum sits. Simone Witcha is the director of the Blanton. I think it's going to give Austin yet one more great space to really be proud of and you know, connecting this district and kind of this cultural district that we'll have in the city of Austin. That promenade, which is part of the state capitol complex redevelopment, is scheduled to be completed late this year. The Blanton Grounds redesign is set to be finished in 2022. Mose Bouchel, KT News. The Dell Medical School at UT Austin has been testing out a program that could help combat the health effects of loneliness and isolation. Because public health officials have been saying loneliness is a growing public health concern that's become even more urgent during the pandemic. KUT's Ashley Lopez reports. Didi Diaz is calling up a man named Earl. He's in his late 70s. Hello. Hi, Earl. Yes. Hi, Earl. This is Dee Dee. Yeah, Dee Dee. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Well, doing pretty good. Dee Dee and Earl haven't talked in a bit, so there's a lot to catch up on. One of Earl's granddaughters recently got married. Another granddaughter had a baby. It came a little early, he says. He also talked about a small medical procedure he had recently. It went well. The conversation then turns to weather. It's getting colder, so the leaves from the trees around his yard are starting to fall. Earl tells Dee Dee about that, too. I've got Astra in front, so I've been dealing with it. Okay. And then the neighbors keep in the backyard, the neighbors' trees, they blow in my yard. This call is like any other conversation you'd hear between friends, except it's a little more one-sided. It's mostly about Earl. It's about what has happened in his life, what he's thinking about, what his days are like, including the most mundane details. 
Dee Dee started these calls with Earl as a volunteer for the Sunshine Calls program. This program serves older adults who are often homebound and therefore pretty isolated in their daily lives. How often they get a phone call varies depending on the person. And the point of the calls is to get these individuals to just talk about themselves. The focus is really about about making the person on the other end feel that it is a time of their own, that it is a time of their priorities, their choices, their interests. That's Minnie Callon. She's the executive director of Factor Health at Dell Medical School, which is a lead in this project. She says the program uses empathy as a sort of medical intervention for people facing loneliness and isolation. Callon says these simple conversations can eventually, hopefully, have a big effect on how people feel about their own lives. Um, And in that way, make them feel for that moment, and hopefully it carries forward, that um, their, their past matters, their present matters, and what they feel about the future matters. This project is a partnership between Del Med and Meals on Wheels of Central Texas. Meals on Wheels is a national group that distributes meals to older Americans. Adam Hauser is the president and CEO of Central Texas's chapter. He says isolation has been an issue among the people they serve for a long time. It's not uncommon for many of our clients, if they didn't have a daily visit from Meals on Wheels volunteer, they wouldn't see anyone else. Hauser says isolation and the depression and anxiety that can be caused by isolation has been a public health concern for a while now. But he says the pandemic has been like sort of an x-ray on this problem. Hauser says everyone can just see it a little clearer now. I guess you could say this is one of the sort of good things to come out of the pandemic is that people are starting to realize that that um, older adults have very complex and, and significant needs. And Minnie Callon with Delmed says these needs have become greater and more urgent during the pandemic. So far, the program has already served more than 100 people. There's absolutely no question that with COVID um, and the increased um, isolation of folks, the interest in loneliness has ratcheted up. No question about it. Callan says that's why Delmed also began conducting a study on the program. Researchers checked in with people between July and September of last year. They measured whether these sunshine calls had made them feel less isolated, less left out, and like they had companionship in their life. Callan says if they can prove these calls made measurable differences, it could be a useful tool in the fight against isolation. It's, it's one of several potential solutions that will then be available to folks as they think about how to intervene, not just screen for and recognize that the issue exists. Adam Hauser with Meals on Wheels says it's more important than ever for people to tackle this problem as a major public health issue. He says isolation can affect someone's physical health as well as their emotional health. Loneliness and depression and feelings of isolation, uh, in our view, are viruses just like COVID and can have just as devastating health impacts, particularly on seniors and older adults. Delmed researchers are currently working to get the results of their study published as soon as possible so the program can be replicated elsewhere. Ashley Lopez, KUT News.
That's KUT Weekend for the third weekend of 2021. You can subscribe to this podcast at weekend.kut.org and email any questions or comments to weekend at kut.org or just ask me on Twitter. I'm at KUT Nathan. Our theme music is by RAC. Thank you for listening. I'm Nathan Bernier with KUT 90.5 and KUT.org. Oh, 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 oh,